0: achieve our full potential. Your journey to transformation begins right now. Let's do this. All right. All right. Let's do this. This is Tracy Harrell, and I am president of the National Black MBA Association Seattle Chapter. I'm also president of a consulting company that's called It's All Bigger Than Me. And this show that we do every week has a very simple mission. We use technology, community, and positive psychology to help good people do great things. And today I am super excited to use our show today to bring to you the recap from an amazing session that we had on July 7th. I am leading a movement. We are starting a movement. We're really changing the status quo. And this movement is called the Bigger Than Me Success Series, achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. Yes, it's a systems change. So this really is about how do we think about those problems that we know exist, those key challenges? How do we bring together adaptive leadership, positive psychology, as well as something that's very simple. It's called self-directed learning. So when you know a thing, it's really not about knowing it. Information is only one part of the equation. Information only leads to transformation through activation. And so what we're doing today is we're recapping a session that was on 7-7. It's a six part transformational series. And the sessions are on 77 7, 8, 8, 9, 9, 10, 10, 11, 11, and 1212 12 of 2020. So there's gonna be monthly initiatives, national initiatives, but we're also hosting recaps and deeper conversations using this weekly show. So I'm super excited and we're gonna get right to it. So we're gonna start with a simple video, one of my favorites, around how to start a movement. So when I say this is a movement, you're probably thinking what exactly is she talking about check this out
1: ladies and gentlemen at ted we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement so let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it first of course you know a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed But what he's doing is so easy to follow so here's this first follower with a crucial role he's going to show everyone else how to follow now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal so now it's not about the leader anymore it's about them plural now there he is calling to his friends now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself it takes guts to stand out like that the first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader <laughs> <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts, three is a crowd and a crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers. Because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> So notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. Those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, but they will be part of the in crowd if they hurry. So <laughs> over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you are the type like the shirtless dancing guy that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay. But we might've missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a a leader so as we're told that we should all be leaders it would be really ineffective if you really care about starting a movement have the courage to follow and show others how to follow and when you find a lone nut doing something great have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in and what a perfect place to do that at Ted.
0: <laughs> do you love that? <laughs> what I love about that is this is so simple this Bigger Than Me success series really is about transforming hearts and minds. It's about co-creating solutions and implementing known solutions. It's really, this isn't a new conversation, but what is new is this is a critical point in history where we all agree talking about solving a problem, a problem that we've talked about for years and not taking new transformational action, it's just its just not acceptable. So what we're gonna do with this Bigger Than Me success series is we're offering this to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are, from Microsoft to McDonald's, from the CEO to the janitor, from the East Coast to the West Coast, the North to the South, it doesn't matter who you are, everyone's welcome. It also doesn't matter where you are in your journey because this is about creating a safe space for everyone to learn and grow. In this first session, what we did, and we were very specific, you'll see these guests, and we're gonna go into uh, more specifics, but it was really about creating a case for change. We can't unite for change if we don't believe there's really something that needs to be changed. So when you think about the racial unrest in this country, and you think about people that are protesting in the streets of America today, they're protesting because of inequality. Injustices, racism, abuse, trauma, and those same things that happen in the streets of America every day are also happening in corporate America. They're happening in every business in America, in businesses. Again, the reason this is called achieving racial equity and inclusion in in business, education, wealth, and health, it's in all of our systems. That means we're all complicit. But what's the good news about that is that means we can all be a part of the solution. So if you work for one of those companies that has made a grand declaration about what they're going to do for equity and inclusion, we're asking you to join this movement, this grassroots movement, to really add a little additional pressure to those CEOs who for years, you'll hear hear Bill talk about this. This is not a new conversation. These same CEOs who said that they are 100% focused on changing things. This is a conversation we've had for years. So what we're bringing to you is a new conversation, a new activation, the opportunity to truly transform. And what Brene Brown likes to say, that's going to be the next video that we share with you. She talks about owning our stories. So what we're doing as a part of this exercise is we're bringing stories. We're we're bringing a voice and power to the voiceless and to those who felt powerless, but we're also creating a space for those with power, those who say they want to change things. You are welcome. We actually need you. This session on 7-7 was amazing. It was over 80% Black people. And what we said to ourselves, leaders, executives, professionals, and students, we're not going to be able to change this on our own. Individually, what we can do is invite each of you to be a part of change. Whoever you are, culture by definition is about how we change things together. And it starts with telling our stories. Here's what Brene Brown has to say.
2: If we own our story, we get to write the ending. And if we don't own our story, the story owns us. And I think in The Gifts of Imperfection, I really, that was the first time in my life personally that I've owned my story. That I wrote about, hey, look, I had this complete breakdown at 41. Um, I fell apart. I got, I was so tired and exhausted from trying to outrun vulnerability and outrun perfectionism. If we think about collectively, if we know it's true in our own lives that the stories we own, we get to write the ending, and the stories that we don't own, own us, We can take that micro lesson and apply it in a macro concept, in a community concept. The stories that we don't own collectively own us. We have to own the story in order to write the different ending. And I know it's painful, but it's not as painful as spending our lives running from our story. And our collective story in the United States is a story of white supremacy. That is the story, that's our story. And we have not owned it. So now, it it still it owns us. It still owns us. And it defines us because we have not had the courage to step in and own the story and say, this is the truth about where we come from and what we've done. And it's I think what's really powerful for me personally is understanding, that the pain of owning, the pain and discomfort of owning that story is is tiny compared to the pain and discomfort of living out that story.
0: Mm, Don't you love that? Don't you love that? She makes it very clear. There's such power in us owning our story. We get to write the ending And what's really exciting about this, Bruce Thompson, uh, who's the next person who has been amazingly supportive. He's a leader as a part of this initiative as well. He is the interim president and CEO for the National Black MBA Association, the national organization who has been a, a leader in the community for over 50 years. And Bruce wrote an essay that was entitled racism, America's unfinished business. And it was a message to members of the organization, but messages to everyone in the community. So Bruce Thompson, when I asked him the question about this essay, it was amazing. But my question was, what message did you want to share? Here's what he had to say. So I can tell you what he had to say. <laughs> so we have his video coming up in a second. But what I loved about Bruce and his story is, he prepared a message. Uh, the The National Black NBA Association is a professional organization that includes um, national sponsors. So from Microsoft to FedEx, you know, Amazon. Maybe I'm not really sure if Amazon is actually one of the sponsors. But every um, major organization is a sponsor of this organization it's the largest professional organization in the nation and what's exciting is that he was willing to make a statement around change the fact that we know we have to change things and the national black nba association amazing as it is we don't always take this type of stand and so what i'm excited about is we have presidents from all around the country, joining together to move this initiative forward, we realize that now is the time. So when I asked Bruce about this letter, which was amazing, here's what he had to say.
3: A few messages, Tracy. I think one is certainly that um, what we're in the midst of now is part of a, a longer ongoing struggle. Uh, and I think we've got to all realize that and put that uh, in into context when we talk about the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and 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 so many others it, it, the fact is there are so many others uh, and and uh, as, as was said earlier we've got to own that uh, uh, but uh, it's not enough to talk about it it's not enough to uh, at some level, it's not enough to protest about it. It's, it's, it ought to be a call to action for us to do some things differently uh, about it. And that's really uh, what the essay was about. It, it was about the responsibility that we all have to change the status quo, to make a difference, to address systemic racism in some concrete ways that, that ultimately uh, will lead to its demise. It's also a recognition uh, that that we have to hold ourselves accountable. As I think about my organization, the organization that I lead, the National Black MBA Association, we have work to do. We have work to do with our various stakeholders, including our partners, including our members. Uh, We have work to do. We have work to do in holding ourselves and others accountable uh, for uh, changing the status quo and we have to realize and that's part of putting it into context that this is a long-term effort Uh, it didn't start yesterday it didn't start a month ago it didn't start a year ago it didn't start a hundred years ago Uh, and therefore we've got to be prepared for the long haul we've got to prepared for be prepared for when this isn't the issue of the moment and still work and still uh push forward uh because it doesn't happen by itself it happens because people make the effort on an ongoing basis, on a systemic basis, if you will, to change that. Mm,
0: I love that. I love that. Bruce is amazing. You'll hear more from him throughout this ongoing series. He's been extremely supportive. Very exciting. So the next person we're going to talk, we're going to hear from is Bill Wells. Bill Wells is a legacy leader within the National Black MBA Association. He was a former chairman of the board for the national organization. He's uh, held numerous executive roles over his 30 plus years in the corporate world. I know he's uh, vice president. He's uh, been uh, chief diversity officer for Fortune 500 companies. Um, what's exciting about Bruce is he's, he's been around. I'm not <laughs> You see that gray hair? He said he's earned every gray hair, right? He's been around, but he's also optimistic. So he, he, he's a realist and an optimist. He's a realist because he's the one who said to me initially, Tracy, these are not new conversations. They're not. So my question to him was, well, why is it important for us to activate now? Why is it important to drive change?
4: First of all, Tracy, for uh, inviting me to be a part of this important discussion, and for those of you who know me, you're you're going to probably say, "Oh, oh he, here he goes again." Um, but um, uh, seriously, what I what I hope um, we understand from this conversation, you know, when we talk about eliminating racism, first of all, I want to be clear that's not going to be. It's not a once and done kind of situation. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, organizations every day um, talk about culture change and transformation. And somewhere in that conversation, they talk about diversity, inclusion, and now equity. Equity was not really a called out as a construct, um, in the days of the civil rights era, it was literally embedded into the notion of equality and giving everyone an opportunity to rise to their full potential. So, you know, we're dealing with a historic and a uh, historic phenomena which is also historic, hysterical. Um, and it's going to ch- change, um, it's gonna require a lot of effort. Um, I, I hear people sometimes say, well, we just need a DNI initiative. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, diversity and inclusion initiative, we need to get commitment from the top. We need to get accountability. Yes, that's what's required. But this is literally a, a sea change. It's not quite to the same extent of like uh, solving world hunger but it feels like it's on that magnitude. We are trying to unpack and unbundle hundreds of years of, well, I won't call it racism, but discriminatory behavior, which is rooted in racism. So the, the, the work that needs to be done is, it has to be very intentional. It's gotta be very focused and leaders of the organizations really need to be clear about what it is that they're really talking about. Uh, because for the most part, businesses are uh, literally in business to make money that's it. Um, There is uh, also a social component to it, uh, but it's oftentimes uh, way back on the um, list of priorities. So uh, in this discussion tonight, uh, hopefully we'll have have a chance to talk about what it is that we need to really do in organizations. And they know, quite frankly, they know what they need to do. Uh, There is a CEO action plan that started about, oh, three years ago, 2017. And there are now well over a thousand companies that have signed on with a commitment, a stated commitment to furthering diversity and advancing diversity and inclusion in the business. Yet and still today, we still see the tremendous disparities that have resulted from, I'll call it false promises. So I'll end right now, cause I know you've got other questions and uh, perhaps I'll come back in with um, uh, a different angle on this thing. But again, thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Tonight.
0: You love that. (laughs) So we're going to hear more from Bill. He's absolutely amazing. He's also, he's a consultant now, and he does this work. He's actually in Minnesota, um, Minneapolis, I believe, right in the epicenter of all of this shenanigans that's going on. Um, and he's doing some great work. So we definitely will hear more from Bill. He's, he's committed to be a part of this movement, helping to lead us as we move forward. The next person we're gonna um, hear from is Michelle Avan. Uh, just like Bruce and Bill, Michelle is one of my favorite people. What I love about these individuals is, again, it's just time for real talk. Time for real talk and real action. That's what the bigger than me movement is all about. So I asked Michelle, just like I asked the others, why is this bigger than me success series to achieve racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health? Why is this so important? I asked her, why is it important and and why now? And what I love about this, um, uh, row 19, by the way, uh, what I love about this is that what Michelle says is a lot of times it's what we each of us I think want to say but when you're working inside of an organization there's a you know a paradox right that that exists you don't want to upset the apple cart Um, you know if you're one of those individuals who works inside of an organization and you've heard your CEOs make these grand declarations but your lived experience is different we are here for you. If you're an ally, a white professional or a white leader, and you're like, okay, there's obviously a problem here, but I don't know what to do about it. Join us, join this bigger than me movement. This is for you. It's for you. It's for us to really change things, change the status quo. So when I asked Michelle, why is this important and why now? Here's what she said.
5: So, Michelle Avan, and I am an executive at Bank of America Merrill. I'm in the Merrill line of business. Um, My title is Division Supervision Executive, and so I work with the financial advisors to ensure that we're meeting the goals and objectives of our clients. That's what I do in my day job. Uh, My purpose and my passion is around diversity and inclusion at the organization, and although I'm not paid for that, I do spend a significant amount of time in that space because I just have so much passion about it and unapologetically with an emphasis on our black African-American employees, which sometimes I think they get forgotten about. Um, So I wanna show them some love and make sure that they know that they're important and that they're valued. So why now and and why should we be talking about this? I mean, it's time to strike while the iron is hot. I mean, with all of the things that are going on in the world, um, we are sadly mistaken if we think what we see happening in the world is not a carbon copy of what's basically been drug into the corporate America world. It is a replication of that. And um, we have to fix um, some of the uh, discrepancies, that exist in terms of equality, um, equity, access and power. And really the only way to do that is to take full advantage of a lot of the movement um, that's taking place in these conversations and then hold corporate America accountable for the very people, the very group that have definitely helped to um, really, um, I'm gonna say support, but I don't mean that in a way in terms of um, calling it neglect, although to some degree you could call it neglect, of the things that are happening in this world, and yes, particularly to Black African Americans, and while our Black men are a target for a lot of what we're seeing, let's not get it twisted. Black women, we are seeing a lot of that happening as well. Brianna Taylor, Sandra Bland, we are on the chopping block as well. And I, I've been asked to participate in a lot of topics nationally with the company, and there are two points that I want to share with this group that I've, I've shared with them. One is that um, racism and discrimination against Black people is not a Black people's problem. That is, it's not a problem that you have to ask us to fix something that we did not ask to participate in. Um, we, we are not the problem. It's a collective. It is a humanity problem. And we've got to get our heads around that and understand and recognize that what has been done before is not working. So we need to clearly do something different. And the other is in doing something different, we need to write our narrative collectively on what that looks like. Because if you say nothing, you leave it up for interpretation on what your thoughts, ideas, and opinions are. Even if you don't know what to say, to be honest and genuine, to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to begin what can I do we have to write the narrative for that we can't allow absence um, of thought to or commenting on it to step in and speak on our behalf and we definitely need to hold corporations accountable for um, what they owe to us is just basic human rights of respect and um, common courtesy like, sometimes this, to me, seems like such a crazy conversation. Like, what what makes us so different that we don't deserve to be treated like human beings? He had his knee on that man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds.
0: Come on, y'all. C- come on. Come on, come now. On. You're right. You're right. I, I, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, you're right. You're 100% correct. And it's interesting. I got some flack when I, when I wrote my first... Uh, executive summary on this topic because I use the term corporate chokeholds. That's, that was my experience, right? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean, when we talk about, of course I mean it in a bad way, but I don't mean it in, in, in a... <laughs> well, listen, Tracy, here's the deal, though. We are
5: making people uncomfortable. We have to stop being in this place of how we were trained and conditioned to think we got to make white people feel uncomfortable. I don't want to make them feel comfortable more anymore. I, I don't. I want you to be uncomfortable, not to the extent that I'm trying to make you feel bad about it. I want to draw awareness to the things that you don't want to talk about that you want to sweep underneath the rug. That is the reality of the life that we live day in and day out. I'm done with trying to make you feel like it's okay. It's not your problem. It's not your fault. It is your problem. And until you recognize and realize that it is your problem you're not going to do anything about it so yeah i do want you to feel uncomfortable so corporate choco i like that i will be using that in my next speech that i do thank
0: you you're you're very welcome and and i'm using it very specific so we have a session coming up in a moment where we're talking about key challenges the national black mba association we did a a think tank and we focused on key I love it. I love Michelle. I love all of these people because as you can hear, we're aligned on the principle of it's time to drive change, to lovingly drive change. And when I use the term corporate chokehold, I really have gotten some slack for that. But that was my personal experience. And as Brene Brown says, you know, the stories you don't own, own you. And so I, you gotta, I gotta own that story. We have to own it together. And I can tell you what I've interviewed nearly a thousand individuals. Yes, the stories are very consistent. That's why I'm on this, this is a divine m- mission for me. A Couple of things that Michelle said and then we're gonna go into the successes. we am gonna start with um, Bruce talking about success and then we're gonna talk about each of these uh, members that were on the panel telling us about success and what success means to them. But I'm gonna highlight a couple of things that Michelle said that I love. First, she said, we have to write our own narrative. That's a repetitive theme that you're gonna hear as a part of this bigger than me success series. Not only are we writing our own narrative, there's a book that we're writing as a part of this process. You'll hear more about it, but it's super exciting. It's gonna be by this same title. It's called the Bigger Than Me Success Series, Achieving Racial Equity and Inclusion in Business, Education, Wealth and Health. It's a compilation book. I'm partnering, um, it's so amazing. I'm partnering with this, uh, her name is JB Owen. I've, I've had her on my show uh, previously. Um, I have actually four books in the next six months that are being um launched through her, this being one of them. So I'm part of one book that's called Ignite Happiness. And uh, part of that is, I tell a little bit of my story in that book as well. No matter what's happening, we get to decide how we respond to it. So when Michelle said that we need, you know, to hold corporations accountable. And she also said to draw awareness to our reality. That's what this initiative is about. So if you're in a corporation and you don't feel comfortable sharing, your true story, we're going to give you a a safe space to do that. We're going to help you to share that story. She also said, you know, how important it is for us to unite to, 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 to it's okay not to feel comfortable. And let me make sure that you are aware what that means. Part of adaptive leadership, and, I, and I've done three or four courses as relates to adaptive leadership in general. All courses are not the same. All con- The content isn't the same. I've taken the best of some of the best courses that are out there, and i pulled them together into my own adaptive leadership program. It's called the Adaptive Leadership Equity and Inclusion Initiative. So it takes principles of adaptive leadership, one of which is this concept of being comfortable, being uncomfortable, creating a safe space, right? Not too much heat, but just enough to raise your awareness, to open your heart, and that's really what this is about. So the next question that I asked the panelists, and, and then I'm, you know, we're gonna continue to talk about as a part of this movement, it's it's called the Bigger Than Me Success Series. And so one question you have to ask when you're, when you're driving a change initiative of this magnitude, this is national, it's international. Again, it applies to everyone from Microsoft to McDonald's, right? From the CEO to the general, it doesn't matter what business you're in, it affects all the systems. And so part of what we're doing is we're asking what does success look like? And success looks different for each person. And so since Bill uh, Bruce Thompson is president of this national organization, um, we asked him, what does success look like to him? In business, we'll just start with business. You want to talk about education, education, wealth, or health? Feel free, but let's focus on business, Bruce. You and I. What is your yeah, so, success? Yeah, I, I guess I
3: would start, Tracy, with with access, and and closely followed by opportunity. I, I, I really think as I look at the uh, the business landscape. Uh, it uh, and justice comes to mind as well in some ways. But, but, but why I choose access and opportunity is I, I, I really look at the landscape and say, uh, do we really have, and I'm, I'm speaking specifically of black folks, do we really have access and opportunity in an equitable way? And, and the answer, of course, that I see is no. Uh, and so, what success looks like uh, to me. Is a level of access, a level of opportunity that really allows people to achieve what they're capable of of achieving. Uh, You know, it's it's. I think there is what I constantly see, uh, uh, both in corporate environments where I once worked, uh, you know, through the lens of the National Black MBA Association, in dealing with a a wide variety of our, our 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 stakeholders, is enormous talent. Uh, I, would, I would urge you, if you haven't had the chance to do so, sit in on a case competition, uh, which we do both undergraduate and graduate versions of. And if you don't, and, and, and by the way, Leaders of Tomorrow version uh, for our high school students, if you don't think there is talent there, sit in on one of those sessions and watch them think on their feet and watch them uh, analyze the situation in depth uh, and watch them run the numbers. Uh, the capabilities there are tremendous and they're underutilized because of a lack of access and because of a lack of opportunity. So again, what does success look like to me? It's a whole different landscape in terms, uh, than we are seeing today in terms of black access and black opportunity to really achieve uh, at a level uh, of which people are capable.
0: Do you love that? Oh, my goodness. So what I love about Bruce and, and these others is, you know, we all talk about sex success, and success means something different for each of us, but there are very common elements around what does success mean, right? Success, you know, when you think about success, when you think about achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health, part of the... Part of the conversation is understanding that we are individuals. Check out what the other panelists has to say. I asked them to introduce themselves and tell us what the success looked like to them. Thank you, Tracy.
5: Sonya Stallings, I'm um, Principal Cloud Executive for SAP. I'm also the Atlanta Chapter President for the National Black MBA Atlanta Chapter. What success means to me
0: is the same opportunity, wealth, right? Um, an opportunity for all all right now bruce thompson you just gave an
3: overview again bruce thompson i'm interim president and ceo of the national black mba association a long-term uh, corporate uh, executive uh, primarily in, in uh finance roles but in in a set of broad business roles as well for both uh fortune 500 and for uh, uh medium-sized uh black-owned companies as well
0: thank you Bill Wells, introduction, and then what does success mean to you?
4: Okay, uh, Bill Wells, um, uh, longtime corporate executive, um, but um, that's, uh, that just helped to get me positioned to be the consultant that I do, the consulting work that I do now. I've had my own uh, consulting practice, management consulting, for the last 20 years, and uh, with the primary focus in the diversity, inclusion, and now the equity space. Um, what, what success looks like for me, it's, it's pretty simple. And I think, you know, everybody's kind of gravitating around it. It's a win-win. Um, success is not something that's easily measured. Sometimes there's an objective measurement around, um, success, but oftentimes it's that intrinsic anecdotal, uh, feeling that you get when you know that you, you, uh, you, you did, you did what was, you were called to do so um that's, that's i'll leave it at that uh, i know you've got some more conversation to go and i've got some other points i'll make uh at a later point but basically it's about winning it's about win-win for all and that doesn't mean i win you lose it just means win-win collaboratively we all move forward together
0: i love it i love it dr jerry bird you're the next one on my list uh in, in the view here introduce yourself tell us why you're so amazing and What does success mean to you? And you're on mute, Dr. Tart. There you go. Okay, how was everybody? I am um, Jerry Tart, I'm here in uh, Central Florida and I um, am in private practice, executive director of my own company. I've been a a psychologist and psychotherapist in private practice for the last 22 years. From a clinical perspective, I can say that it has to do with how we relate to our world. But success means to me, uh, recognizing our differences, but realizing that those unique gifts were given to us by God and to embrace each other as we would want one to embrace us. All right, pray George, you're next. Introduce yourself as it relates to achieving racial equity and inclusion in business. What does success mean to you?
6: Yeah, thanks Tracy. Good evening everyone. My name is LaPrey George. I'm the senior director of our chapters, members and university relations at the headquarters of National Black MBA Association here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, yeah, I mean, success, I definitely resonate with what the other panelists mentioned. Um, I think I'll uh, just include you know, opportunity and equal opportunity Um, opportunities for individuals based on their skill sets based on their talents not necessarily you know nepotism or who you know i mean i think there there is some you know space for that but at the end of the day it should come down to your work ethic your 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 morals the way that you work and and diligently achieve a task so i think it really comes down to you know having equal equal opportunity
0: i love it i love it miss patricia davis introduce yourself and what does success mean to you Patricia Davis with DeMarsh
5: Consulting, uh, Vice President with the small consulting firm, and success to me means that this point in our time right now is historic. It's not for a reason. It's not for a season. This is a lifetime event, and we need to keep it. We need to keep it moving until we, we reach the same level of, of equity that um, white people enjoy every day.
0: All right, now. Michelle Avon, what does success mean to you?
5: Success to me is fair and equal access um, based upon your skill set and your experience. And I agree with everything else that the panelists said.
0: Everybody has hit it spot on. I love it. Stan, Dr. Stan, the man, what does success mean to you?
3: for me success i think what success means to me is i agree it's it's access it's opportunity but there's a little critical component that we need to add to that right it's knowing what we don't know um because we a lot of times we don't know how to play the game we don't know the strategy of the corporate america um having that preparation would help us lean towards the uh, tools being successful but if you gain access without preparation then that's a blocker for success so i think just Having that information, when you get access, prepares you for success. That's what that is.
0: I love it. So, Stan, you're part of the Executive Advisory Board for the Seattle chapter of the Black NBA, but also introduce yourself. You missed that part.
3: Yeah, sorry. So, um, Stanley Oswago. um, I am the president for Stan and Ross Consultant, LLC. I am
0: based out of Seattle, Washington, um, and I'm a food safety expert. Excellent. Excellent. Next, Rex Brown. How are you, Rex Brown? Can you introduce yourself and tell us what does success mean to you? And I know you're slightly different. So you, I have you on for a couple different experts. You, you Angle your camera down a little bit for me. You got too much room above your head. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um,
6: I, I'm not good at technology. So. You,
0: it's all success good. We're, we're going to get it right. Learning how to be
6: better at technology.
0: You're with, you're with family. It's all good. So, again, if you remember this this initiative was around multiple systems achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. You actually have a couple of areas of expertise related to business, entrepreneurship, and wealth. So tell us who you are, what do you do for a living? I know you're here in a personal capacity, but what does success mean to you? Thank you, Tracy. My name is Rex Brown,
6: and I am the program director for the governor's subcabinet on business diversity and supplier diversity at the Office of Minority Human enterprises. I uh, previously uh, was the deputy director for the Executive Office of Labor's uh, Workforce uh, uh, Development uh, Office for uh, Diversity, Civil Rights, and Equal Opportunity. Uh, I came to uh, the state of Washington uh, in November 2014 to head up diversity programs at DSHS and joined the governor's subcabinet in 2015, to do this work on a comprehensive, holistic uh, level. So I've been in uh, government uh, uh, business for uh, over 16 years, and uh, I uh, envision success for me uh, if I could take liberty to to think about this a little differently. Uh, I go back to, you know, when I was a child. I had a privilege to have a very strong mother and father in my life early. My dad was a voracious reader of all things black literature and just about anything. And we used to read the paper together and uh, read uh, different stories, narratives together, and have really interactive dialogue about black thought. And um, one of the things that, uh, a poem that he showed me uh, years ago has uh, stuck with me ever since uh, Paul Dunbar, uh, we wear the mask, um, and uh, we wear the mask like grins and lies uh, that uh, hides our cheeks and shades our eyes, that is um, the old social construct of racism in the United States that I believe it will be success if we can acknowledge and abandon completely. That is the idea. That we can live with 50% racism and 50% affirmative action and somehow in all of this and, uh, I think it is pretty clear that there is no freedom in it I think it's pretty clear that uh, new generations are no longer going to accept that social construct and that's one of the reasons why we have to continue this. Oh.
0: Wow. Do you love that? I cannot believe we've just come to the end of our first hour. So when we start our next hour in just a moment, we're going to continue this conversation around success. What does success look like? This is the bigger than me success series, achieving racial equity and inclusion in business, education, wealth, and health. This is the movement and we invite you to join us. This is Tracy Harrell and it's bigger than me.